Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. Have you ever grown a plant from a seed? If so, you'll notice how it may begin as one minuscule speck. There is a germination period where it seems like nothing happens. Then one day, you begin to see motion. And almost as soon as that little green sprout pokes up through the soil, it seems to speed up. It gathers itself. As it grows, its roots become more efficient at soaking up moisture and nutrients. Its leaves become more abundant, creating more surface area to absorb the sun. The growth towards life and abundance becomes exponential once it crosses that threshold out of the dark dormancy period. Today, we will feel our way into that energy as we recount the story of movement from dark dormancy to a new sprout, a new breath, a new moment in healing. Blink of an Eye podcast is sponsored by Blink of an Eye Public Charity. Did you know our podcast sponsor, the 501c3 nonprofit I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation, is now the Blink of an Eye nonprofit. And they have a launch campaign to raise funds so they can go bedside with SCI families in crisis. You can donate at www.blinkofaneye.org for the HEAL team, bringing hope, empowerment, advocacy, and logistical navigation tips with love to SCI families in crisis. If you are interested in volunteering or becoming part of the Blink of an Eye cutting-edge relational approaches to trauma healing, medical navigation, and emotional and spiritual support for SCI families in crisis, fill out an information form at www.blinkofaneye.org. Follow Blink of an Eye on Instagram and Facebook at Blink of an Eye Nonprofit. Links to these platforms will be in the show notes. Blink of an Eye is also supported by Baltimore Mediation. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at BaltimoreMediation.com. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 27, The Power of a Collective Energy Field for Healing. 
how we co-create what we need. Hello, dear ones. I'm glad you're joining me today because we're winding down Season 3 with this episode and the next, and we have some exciting news to share with you. After we take a short break between seasons, we have some changes underway for Season 4. We will continue to provide all of our Blink of an Eye community with trauma healing learnings as I interview thought leaders, deep thinkers, noted authors, and practitioners of a wide variety of perspectives on trauma healing. And we will alternate and also provide our spinal cord injury community with the Dear Louise series, which we piloted this season. I will be interviewing SCI heroes about their everyday lives, their extraordinary lives, and we'll be talking with SCI specialists who will bring cutting-edge practical tips and information for SCI caregivers and for those living with spinal cord injury. And for all of our loyal listeners of our centerpiece Blink of an Eye origin story, we will publish the ongoing story on the third Wednesday of each month, including the unedited, written bedside, family and friends updates, Archer blog, braided together with personal journal notes you have come to expect, and interview lookbacks years later from those who were behind the scenes, all to further the healing journey of integration, applicable for any life that has changed in the blink of an eye. So we have a lot to look forward to. In recent story episodes, you might have sensed a feeling of incubation. Yes, there had been something I sensed literally in my body that believed this. You know what I mean. That somatic part of ourselves that feels and knows something important is happening. Something to pay close attention to. I had had a sense about Archer's lungs for many weeks. Yes, they were still collapsed and could barely hold air as a result of the secondary complications of trying to stay alive after he dove into the ocean on a hot summer day and hit a sandbar, shattering his neck, rendering him instantly paralyzed, unable to push himself up from the ocean floor holding his breath so hard as he prayed and counted the seconds for almost three minutes. So hard that he blew out both lungs like a rupture in a bicycle tire. And when he couldn't hold his breath any longer and everything went black, the ocean water gushed in, filling his lungs, and he drowned. Seawater is laden with salt and bacteria. Archer's lungs were like a petri dish. Over the weeks and months, that bacteria grew and spawned thick, gooey, stubborn mucus plugs in both lungs, which further prevented Archer from being able to breathe, even with the assistance of a machine. His condition was then further aggravated by aggressive settings on an anexiflator cough assist machine 
that blasted such huge volumes of forced air into his lungs that his lungs developed not one, but multiple fleshy blebs, masses of tissue ranging in size from a quarter to a fist, crowding out what little space was left for air, causing Archer slowly to suffocate. While Archer was not able to talk or scream his desire, his will to breathe on his own was steely, and I knew it. I also believed, in a mystical sort of way, that there was more than bacteria germinating in his lungs and body. And today, you will hear more of what that was about. Yes, I had that sensing feeling that something was happening in Archer's body, something momentous, something pushing through the mucus, something miraculous. For today, I am glad you are listening in to share in a dramatic moment in Archer's journey with breathing, and it's a moment that might be transferable to you and your life in some way. You see, most of the Shepherd medical staff at this point in the journey were imparting the message to Archer and seeming to believe that Archer in some ways had given up. They said he's not going any further with breathing. He's plateaued. But even as we were making plans to leave the rehab program at Shepherd, Archer was making incredible unforeseen leaps and bounds in his recovery. I believe he was aided by a homeopathic remedy I had been giving him for 10 days, under the radar, if you will. But more importantly, he was being carried by an energy field of prayers, prayers from people around the world, sent to me in texts, in photos, and in letters, the amazing prayer warriors of so many different religious faiths, Catholic, Christian, Jewish, Islam, Buddhist, Hindu, and Native American friends, and those I also did not know, had come together for Archer. It was powerful medicine. I was struck and continue to be struck by the tangible interplay between faith and healing, between requests for an intentional, specific change made collectively by a large group of people to a higher divine power and what is possible for transformation. And as you will hear, I learned something new about the way that people move collectively when they are in that prayerful, healing space, connected to one another. When we gather as a community devoted to faith in a divine source and appeal to a Christ energy, a God energy, 
with a collective, fervent request for healing, whether it is exactly what we requested or not. We can take notice of all kinds of movements that occur on a subtle level. And when we collectively ask God for breath itself, for life, yes, sometimes those collective moments bubble up to the degree of the unbelievable, of the miraculous. Let's feel our way into that special energy today that can change something thought to be inert, something thought to be unchangeable. Everything is possible. Nothing on this earth is permanent. So settle in. Take a deep breath. And notice all that is bubbling inside you creating abundance in your life right now. And see if you can sense where that feeling of abundance is in your body. And sense into the energy field of your breath, united with every other breath on the planet. Here we go. Saturday, November 15th, 2015, day 103, family and friends update. It's been a full 10 days and much to share. This may take a while. Prayer warriors have stamina, but are not expected to read all at once. XO. He's on the move. Yep. The fire is manifesting within and Archer Sempt is cooperating with something big. He's surprising everyone with a move in his PSV pressure for his breathing from 20, where it was stabilized for two months, to a dramatic 15 five days ago, to 13 two days ago. The goal was 10 to begin an attempt at ventilator weaning. Two on his own, without his therapist, without his caregivers, without Billy's or my presence, being off the ventilator for a full 60 minutes yesterday and today. And his oxygen saturation rate remained at a steady 99%. It's unbelievable, truly incredible, and it's cause for true celebration. While he reported it is hard as each breath is very labored, he said yes to the possibility posed by one of his pulmonologists. And he did it. Archer is on the move to that much closer to his number one goal, to breathe on his own. We're so proud of him. His lungs can't yet allow the necessary 1,000 and he can't yet sustain the necessary PSV of 10. But he still wanted, as he said, to go for it and see. Now, those of you who know Archer will not be surprised. 
He had to contemplate that for a while, I am sure, in his head, turn it around and around until he knew. In his quiet, steady, solid way, he shot for the stars today by himself, but never alone. I know he was surrounded by angels. There seems a certain cooperation with something much larger. I know the guardian angels and all the saints and Father Bruno were there rejoicing and protecting. So we shall see what this means, what unfolds, what this brings in the next few days, few weeks, few months, as we figure out our next steps. There's a certain quality of, I don't know, pause and take it all in. Oh, let's all do that. Let's begin again today, this day, with a pause. It is so good for us. Pause the sweet word. And as you do, ah, yes, there it is. Your even sweeter breath. What is the quality of your breath right now? Is it even? Is it steady? Is it big? Is it shallow? Is it uneven? The beauty of your breath is that it is always there for you. Boy, do we take it for granted. Archer's breath, it's there for him too. Helps by machines, labored at times, but still present and getting stronger, life-giving. Are you aware of any of the thoughts or feelings that arise as you notice your breath? It's interesting to do this practice daily. I've been doing this every day here. I notice many things. The breath. It's never the exact same. Focus on your breath for a moment. Notice the thoughts and feelings that arise when you do. Hello, thought. Hello, sensation in my body. Honor them. That's right and then let them pass. Just let them pass. They will inform you later. For now, be curious about and attuned to your breath. Notice your exhale. When you exhale, what sound does it make? What does it sound like? Wind? A sigh? Soft, white noise? What is the quality of your out-breath? 
I think that's what Archer was really noticing when we studied the video of his moments off the vent. I took a video, as I believed if Archer could see himself and envision his whole body breathing, he might not be afraid if fear has been holding him back in any way. I mean, surely it must to some degree. I mean, residually, not being able to breathe when he was in the ocean, I think that must still be lingering. I'm not sure, but that's a hypothesis I hold in my mother's heart, I guess. And so I thought I would take a video so he could see himself. As he viewed it over and over, I think he saw his outbreath. While for him it is tight and very pressured, there's a relief in the outbreath. The relaxation of the diaphragm, and thus the relaxation of his chest, and then a relaxation of the shoulders. Maybe you can focus on allowing your arms and shoulders to soften. They may have been tight too. <laughs> oh, yes. Archer's shoulders are so tight. And so the outbreath, his own, is so, so good. Its potential for relaxing us is doubled when we focus our attention on the in breath and the out breath. And notice the quality of each. And as we do, begin to allow them to breathe us and to care for us. The miracle of the breath. <laughs> oh, joy. It brings a smile, doesn't it? It does to me. A big inside grin. Thank you, prayer warriors, for all your breathing and focus. Archer felt it for sure on his first day of trying to breathe on his own off the ventilator. Please continue doing this so his road to weaning off the ventilator will be soon. Shepard says it's unlikely, or if it happens, it will be many, many months. I think less, but whatever it is, we feel the joy of a new beginning. Let us give a prayer of thanksgiving. Let us also give a quiet little prayer to each and every person who has difficulty breathing, that today they may find a moment of relief too, as we are all connected, that they may have a new beginning as well. To begin again is also so incredibly welcomed in the simplest ways. Archer and I had a number of rough nights. It seemed about every other night the last week or so. Getting better, though, 
as they're not every night. But you know the kind of night I'm talking about, where Archer clicks for me and I feel like I'm electrocuted sometimes because I am in a delirium of sleep. But the new twist in the early part of this week that was completely unlike the past wake-ups involved the ventilator itself. Okay, Arch has two air tubes, which are each about the size of a quarter in diameter and about six or seven feet in length that fit into a piece of plastic that forms a V, which is attached to his trach opening in his neck, which is secured in place by a collar that is Velcroed around his neck. Well, the tube in the V, and thus those two tubes, just popped off in the middle of the night. Yeah, I'm not kidding, it's true. The darn thing just popped off, leaving Archer with no oxygen from the vent. But I had no idea at first as I heard him click and rushed to him in the dark, acting quickly as the alarms on the ventilator monitor machines began to go off. And I was looking in the dark for the oxygen button on the monitor to push it to give Archer what I thought he needed. And Archer had this crazy panicky look on his face as his eyes were bigger than saucers and he mouthed something over and over, but I couldn't make it out in the dark. So I was racing for my phone to get a flashlight to be able to read his lips. And as I frantically scanned him, I then realized... There were no tubes through which the hit of oxygen could even flow. The entire attachment was off of Archer and lying on the side of his bed. I mean, do you know the expression? If it had been a snake, it would have bit you? Well, that's what it was like. I couldn't have imagined the entire tubing that gives him all the air he needs to breathe to live was not attached. How? In the world, did that happen? But this time, a team of medical staff had rushed into the room as well. We reattached it, and that was that. Archer looked at me like, come on, Ma. And he was right. I overlooked the most obvious, because it was just not familiar to me in the loudness and dark of the night. And the crazy part is that when it popped off, it was so loud. The air in the vent is highly pressurized and it whooshed from the hose and tiny, teeny pellets of water from the forced air flew out like spittle all over the room. I realized that when I spied it and picked it up, loud, whooshing and spittling, that I was just so not expecting that. These nights are always unfolding, always something new. I suppose it was a good thing to experience, similar to the barely bed sore that took over three weeks and 15-minute wait shifts to make go away. Good preventative things to experience now. So, when and if we are at home, and this happens, well, Archer's main functional goal was to breathe off the ventilator before he came home. That little additional four words I know are very important to him. Before he came home. 
I don't think we're going to be on the ventilator when we come home if Archer stays on the move like this. And here's why else. It happened again the next night, which was just the night before I came back to Baltimore. About 2 a.m. I was leaving at 4.30 a.m. to shower and catch a flight home to the Mount Washington Tavern fundraiser. But this time, the ventilator popping off was part of my scanning for what to look for, rather than my intense focus on Archer's face, the oxygen button, the lung suction equipment, etc. But here's what is even more crazy. Absent someone not securely placing the V of the tube back into the trach opening, which is pretty tightly fitted on, it takes a pretty huge force of air to push the trach so hard that it pops off the ventilator tube. And just so that you know, there's also a lock on it, per se, a plastic catch like two little teeth on either side that keep it secure, which is why it was so very unexpected when it happened the first time. But now, a second time. It felt to me as if something within Archer was forcing it off, like his lungs are ready, as if they're ripping off their bondage, no longer attached, or as if they've outgrown what was needed when they were young and helpless, and now they're stronger and growing up. And it's time. I honestly felt this deeply as I marveled at how strange it was that it had happened. And as I did, my nighttime delirium of fumbling in the dark to see what was wrong was gone. And in some ways, everything was right. I was so awake and alive. Sensing this, Archer asked me for one thing after another. There was a new aliveness, an animation of the night. He needed things, and I felt I was there in a new way. He asked me to wipe his face, then get him a new warm towel, then wipe down the back of his neck, then remove his headband that was so wet I could honestly wring it out, then straighten out his left arm, then put it very close to his side, then place his right arm to rest across his abdomen, then remove the thin blanket from his body, then adjust his pillow to pull it down to his shoulders, then lift his bed a fraction, then push his hair off his forehead, then tuck his long drenched hair behind his ears, then check that the ventilator was secured well on the trach, one after the other, each with an end, a move towards my only warm place, chair bed, my asking, you okay? Anything else? And yes, something else again and again. He was really cleaning out fully. It was intentional and also 
almost comical. On what seemed like completion, I said, You good? And he said, Cheek therapy. (laughs) Yep, that seemed appropriate. I went to the ICU in my pajamas and brought in another warm towel, draped it over his head like he so likes when he looks like Moses in the desert, and I pressed it gently up onto the sides of his cheeks so that all that was showing were his eyes and his mouth like a little papoose. And he was settled. I went back to crawl in between the down comforter atop the fold-out chair with the extra three blankets on top for weight and warmth. His room is still a frigid 40 or something degrees. Then, a little over 90 minutes later, at 4 a.m. exactly, it happened again. Can you believe it? But this time, the force was so great that the entire inner cannula, which is the three-plus-inch piece of hard plastic curved tubing shaped like a banana that actually is inserted into Archer's neck and into his body and into his airways through the tracheostomy opening, blew off too. Now, is that weird or what? Seriously odd, since the inner cannula also has a little locking mechanism, one that involves two little clips on either side that are opened and closed again when it is cleaned and replaced with a new one twice a day. So the likelihood of it not being locked, it's always a possibility, I guess, but it is slim. There's a lot of air coming through, so it really needs to be locked. So did Archer blow the lock? I think so. So much for locking systems now. I don't think they could have held back what I think Archer's body is doing. Archer's body is telling us. Archer's lungs are telling us. They're saying, we are rising. I really felt that. I wondered as I crawled back in for my 12 minutes left of warmth under the down in the cold room, what does this mean? On reflection, as I write now, I know now it was Archer's body preparing for his first experience off the vent. I knew when I left for Baltimore, that he would go to the next level. I wasn't sure what that was or would look like, but I knew he was going to the next level. His heart was born ready. His body is now ready. His mind will follow. And it did. I find that when I'm in the middle of an experience, it can be difficult to sense just how much distance I've already traveled on this journey, just how far we have come. 
it takes time. And it takes reflection. A sort of looking back and looking inside to see the amount of movement that has really happened. And so here we are looking back and seeing just how absurd it was to suggest that Archer or anyone in the process of healing has plateaued. Because in the grand scheme of things, three months, it's not a long time at all to go from a state his lungs had been in to the turning points we were now witnessing. Perhaps a better word for the medical rehabilitation community instead of plateaued would be place of rest. Your body has reached a place where it has worked hard and needs to rest so it can continue the healing journey. (laughs) I think that is more accurate and truthful. I had an opportunity to review our experience with Dr. Edward Hamity who is a pulmonologist at Atlanticare in New Jersey, who was part of the medical team who stabilized Archer in the first month at Atlantic City before flying to Atlanta to the Shepherd Center. Take a listen. So first, just talking about spinal cord injury, Archer's injury was at the level of the fifth vertebra in the neck, which we call the cervical spine vertebra. And when we teach medical students, we give them a little bit of a memory aid. We say three, four, and five, vertebra three, four, and five, keep the diaphragm alive. The diaphragm is your major breathing muscle. So the fact that he had an injury at that level weakened or paralyzed his major breathing muscle called the diaphragm. So already he is disadvantaged with respect to being able to generate the amount of muscle work that it takes to expand your lungs and pull air in. Then he had the other injury of having a saltwater injury to his lungs is as though, although he did do a very good job of keeping the salt water out, there was some salt water. He did have a drowning injury as well. Salt water is very damaging to the lungs. It's the salt itself, the sodium chloride in there is very irritating to the lining of the lungs and it sets up this really bad inflammation pathway and cascade, which he developed And in extreme cases, it leads to permanent lung damage because of scarring, which fortunately we didn't have with him. But it does then require many times people being put on a breathing machine in order to support their lungs. So he has damage in an area of his spine that weakened his breathing muscles. Then he had lung injury. So we have the muscles that are injured and then we have the lungs that are injured. And then as a result of that pressure, he had the two holes that developed in the lung so that even the air that was getting in wasn't staying in his lungs. It was going out through those holes, creating a really tough situation. Uh, The breathing machine pushes air in, so the holes never have a chance to heal up because 
every time a breath was being given, it was positive pressure being pushed in his lungs. And while a lot of that, that volume went where it was supposed to, some of it, it took the path of least resistance, which is those holes. And so they never had a chance to close up and heal. And ultimately, one had to have a surgical closure in order to get it to the point where his, the lung could heal and, and contain his normal breath. So just out of the gate, we were up against a lot of pulmonary problems, a lot of respiratory problems, and the management of that is, is very complex. It astounded me how many doctors remembered Archer many years later in vivid detail and his complicated situation. It's a certain affirmation many years later, ironically, that what I felt back then, that it was all very complex and no one seemed to know what to do, was quite accurate. And these many years later, with gratitude for Archer's determination to live and the energy field that kept his spirit aflame and his body alive, were true miracles in and of themselves. Whether Archer Semt ever walked again or not. And now, back to the update. Back to November 15th, 2015, day 103. After so long dependent on a machine to breathe, I'm imagining it will be a real act of courage to say, yes, and to stay grounded in reality that he will not die or suffocate. And now that he has been off and experienced one hour he will need to stay grounded every hour as they extend over time. Since Archer told me many weeks ago he preferred not to talk about his drowning, yet, I believe it must be terrifying for him to go off the ventilator. I believe and I know that it took incredible courage for him to believe he was not drowning again when he went for his first hour off the ventilator and oxygen tank. There it is again, another irony. What saved Archer's life was his holding his breath. His body is deeply notched now to want to do that, to stay alive. But breathing on his own is asking of his brain and his most primitive instincts to do and think the opposite. I'm not sure that is understood fully by our good caregivers at Shepherd. There are differences when someone drowns and the weaning process. Differences that require good mental health attention and a gentle medical course of action. But he is ready to begin that weaning process now. Even though he hasn't reached all the numerical indicators normally needed to begin the weaning process, his body is giving us clues and signals in other ways. And I think in other big ways. 
one thing is for sure. Archer certainly has not plateaued. We knew that. Thank goodness for Archer and requested meetings, difficult as they have been. I'd recommend requested meetings to anyone in spinal cord injury recovery in a medical facility. Billy and I know Shepard was the right place for Archer. It would have been a great tragedy for his recovery had he left at that first discharge date. He needed this time, and he needed it at Shepard in a safe environment with rehab still going on, but with a pulmonologist who kept the steady eye on his potential. It must have been frustrating for the rehab team to not be able to see more impulses coming online and for Archer to care more about breathing than muscle development when forced to choose when he cared then and still cares now about both very, very much. Sadly, Archer suffered in a number of ways along the last five or so weeks when some of the rehab team lost hope and did not believe in his progress there or just lost interest in his progress with the view that the inability to breathe and all that was necessary for him daily was something that just got in the way. It's true. It did and does get in the way. It gets in the way of just about everything. But it's also why it was so vital. And I totally understand Archer's unwavering commitment to breathing on his own first. I think there are a number of learnings in there. We'll need to revisit another time. We're so grateful for the caregivers at Shepherd, who have been cheerful and patient. The secret sauce, though, is yet to come. What is the secret sauce? That seemingly rare but absolutely necessary pairing for an Olympic athlete of a teacher-coach who believes in the student and the student who performs for the teacher-coach in ways that no one could guess exactly but believed could happen. I really believe that that is a way Billy and I can view Archer. As if he has a talent like one of those potential Olympic athletes that has to be taken care of in extra ways. Because we all know Archer will perform. He will achieve because he will work hard and be dedicated to excellence. Archer's already internally motivated. Imagine what he'll do when that chemistry of teacher to student is made. Please help us be on the lookout for that match for him. Archer is preparing to be ready for that. So we are going to Kennedy Krieger Institute soon in Baltimore. We're excited about KKI with the hope that Archer's schooling, which gives him energy rather than depleting him of energy, will happen on a daily basis 
and be supported as part of his overall therapy and well-being. That's what they promised. But Shepard promised that too, and it just didn't happen really. For us, it's so important because of how Archer feels about school. Maybe it's in that environment that that magical pairing will manifest or a team of such teacher coaches. We'll see how it unfolds. Please pray that we make good decisions about Archer's education. I know there's a piece of reality that we should be grateful if he merely graduates with his class, and we honor that. But Archer so loves to learn and loves school that it just seems to Billy and me that it's an integral part of his therapy. (laughs) We can call that EST, Education and School Therapy. Add it to the T's. As for his health, I think there is something else about Archer and his health profile that is yet to be discovered. It's just a feeling I have. For all of you, all of you who continued to believe with us that Archer needed love and support and time, thank you. That love and support and time has been a true gift. His steadfast, unwavering number one goal to breathe on his own is manifesting. And I don't think it could have happened at home or without constant medical monitoring. Archer is on the move. It is a very good day and days. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. With gratitude to all of your breath work and your constant prayers, Archer feels them. He tells us that. The two fundraisers for this week at the Mount Washington Tavern and the Archer Strong Waterfront Gala in Canton just blow us away. We've done nothing to help. You have done it all. You're all so good to us and so kind. And the architectural and project management help we're getting on our home accommodation needs, it's wonderful. It's a bit daunting in the home accommodations arena since one rehabbed room area of a house with the electrical and generator and insulation and separate HVAC and handicapped roll-in shower and bathroom and Hoyer lift in the ceiling and ramp from the street and cuts into the stone and stucco and doors that need to be widened and etc. etc. is a big construction cost number. But all these amazing events will help. Every contribution helps. And we're just so very grateful. It's extraordinary the generosity of people cooking, laundry, carpooling, organizing, boxing, transporting, financial, research, management, and so on in the daily things the Sempt family needs. I had someone, I value her wisdom, write me to tell me that in her prayers, she sensed Archer had been worried about two things, that he would never be able to have a family and the financial burden this places 
on Billy and me. While it's true, Billy and I have dedicated most of our resources to our children's educations. I was really moved by that letter. I know to trust those feelings when I am moved in those ways. And I realized that Archer himself may not have been privy to the vital information we received the night of his surgery. So I told him what his next surgeon had assured us all, that indeed he could have a family. That, too, was just last week when we had that conversation. He nodded and smiled. Dang, his eyes are almost black-filled with his dilated pupils. But when I then asked him if he worries about being a financial burden, it was amazing. He said, Not being able to have a family and burdening Dad and me is on his mind the most. He said he's very sad that I'm having to sell my office building. Isn't that amazing? She was correct. What a terrible thing for Archer to have to be so worried about when we need his energy directed at his health. I told him I felt it was worthy that he was concerned about that. And I said it does make me sad, but that we will be okay. Billy and I assured him he'll never be a burden. We promised that to him. Not ever. Okay, it may require things we did not want to do, but it will bring joys that we never before imagined. That's the blessing. He will never be a burden. Please, pray that Archer will be released from the worry that he is a burden. We're so grateful for his life. The thought of gratitude is so available to us. With this simple shift of attention, it's there. And the attendant feeling of well-being that comes from that thought shift is so free. <laughs> it reminds me of a few things that happened after Archer and I had our conversation when I went to Mass. I was looking forward to getting to Mass in gratitude, even before the weird ventilator and inner cannula pop-offs in the middle of the night, as they were on Sunday and Tuesday nights. But when I finally scooted out of the hospital to go this past Sunday, I was late. Actually, really late. I had the critical self-thought race through my head. A mere one hour at Mass, and you can't even get there on time, Louise? But there was a nun who had a great influence on me in high school. She always said about going to chapel or about being late, it doesn't matter. Just sit in the back. God knows you're there. (laughs) Thank you, Sister Sienna. I loved when she said that back then. And I've always felt that since then. And I know it's true. God is glad 
when we show up. But the pews of the church last Sunday were packed to the gills when I got there. This church, our away from home church, if you will, and its congregation, whose priest, prayer group, and volunteer administrators to the sick, and its kindnesses, and including Archer in the prayer petition from the pulpit to the entire congregation weekly, week after week after week, are acts I will never forget and for which I will be forever grateful. So the pews were packed, and so was the far back of the church with other latecomers. Catholic masses are well known for folks coming in late and filling in the back. So I walked slowly up the side aisle, canvassing for an open sliver of pew where I might slip in. I was almost to the front when I spied a space behind a pillar. A young 30s-ish man glanced quickly at me and I nestled into the corner of the pew, somewhat next to him, trying to take up as little space as possible. I was so grateful to be there. I find I'm always happy to be at Mass and to feel the energy of all those praying together. It's such a small token of appreciation to God's glory and majesty to go to church. A simple one hour each week, at least. I mean, that hour is so little to set aside for God compared to all that we receive. And it's really good to be around others gathering for a variety of reasons, but essentially all there in one body and spirit. I really feel the energy in communion with others. I think that's what communion is all about. The mystery and the breaking bread needs to happen with others. So there I was, having pressed myself into the corner of the pew behind the two-foot-plus-wide granite pillar. There was actually enough space for another person between the 30-ish-ish man and me. Well, maybe enough space if someone was not too big. And Mass was well underway, at least a quarter of the way into it. So what do you think happened? Well, another man came up the aisle walking with the same quick and quiet deliberateness that was familiar to me as he, too, appeared to be late and looking for a space in this crowded gathering. As I saw him looking, it was easy for me to move over, but it would require a cheerful attitude by the man to my right. I had a flash of curiosity, wondering if folks would move over for this other man looking for a spot so far into the mass. And I had another flash thought that he was dark-skinned and the other parishioners were predominantly light-skinned as far as I could see from where I sat. But what flashed more for me was that the man in the aisle looking for a seat was easily six foot five inches. I quietly put out my hand and ushered him in next to me. And he came 
and there we were, pretty pressed side by side behind the pillar. We briefly glanced at each other with simple smiles of acknowledgement. But since he was on the end, I now had a bit of a view of the altar and of the priest. His view, though, was nothing but a slab of stone in front of him. The man to my right scooted over a bit. I gently tugged at the tall man's sleeve, letting him know it was okay to move in closer to the right so he might see as well as the celebrant of the Mass read the Gospel and gave his homily. I felt like two little kids in the cheap seats at the circus careening to see the act in one of the rings under the big tent. But the reason I share this with you is that there was this amazing thing that happened next. And it happens every time in my experience at big, packed Catholic Masses. And I imagine at many events where people gather together in common bond. Well, what happened is that before too long, the other eight or ten folks in the pew sitting to our right seemed to just, well, readjust. And before long, we were all comfortable and we could all see. There was enough room for everyone. I mean, isn't that just amazing how we take care of each other as if by instinct? There was enough for all. Even our bodies move to make room for all. Just when we may have thought there was not enough. Or maybe someone wanted to protect their space, but they yielded just a bit, and soon there was enough for everyone. I was really struck by that. I think scarcity and not enough or not being enough thinking can nag and niggle and sometimes cripple us. The possibility is that there might not be enough. Sometimes that may be true, I suppose. But I really wonder, is that true? Is that ever true? It seems that when we are in touch with that impulse to share or to do something for another, or in the case of space in the pew to make room for others, that that impulse is primitive, driven from a deep-seated need to care for each other, to connect, and a more evolved need for unity, a love of our fellow human beings. It seems to me that when we are creative, we can always find ways to be enough. I think we just have to pause and get in touch with that impulse. Our bodies, our hearts, when they are in tune and open, 
always want this. It seems to me. It's primitive because it makes us feel safe and secure. It's evolved because it makes us feel good and it makes others feel good too. It is good because it creates ease in the world. And in the case of our little pew, it created immediate well-being. It can be tricky, I know, with millions of people. But it's something to give some thought to. Scarcity. And that really, there is always enough. I believe there is. Willingness. Thank you, folks in the pew. I thought of Archer as I saw that tall man. Archer will be that tall, I imagine. Well, maybe not quite that tall, but he's got some growing ahead of him. He's six foot two or so now, I think. And it occurred to me, there's an irony of being that tall. You can see what others cannot, but you also might have to be on the sidelines if there seems to be not enough room as you're perceived as being a big person. And in this case, a sideline could be obstructed so in all the bigness, you can actually get left out. Funny how our gifts can also be our deficits at times, how our greatest strengths can cause us suffering. Life is like that, I think. Of course, the reverse is true as well, isn't it? Our adversity can become our strength. And so there it is. The reciprocity of the circle of life. Again. Let's all breathe in the balance. Are you aware of your gifts? Your greatest talents? I hope so. You have many. We all do. What are yours? What do you do with them? Do you share them with others? Do they sometimes cause you to suffer? Maybe when they are in excess or when you're driven by them solely, do they sometimes cause others to suffer? How might you celebrate them and use them in ways that are in balance and bring well-being for both you and others? <laughs> These are good things to ask ourselves. I'm on the same journey as you asking myself. I think Archer will be asking himself these questions too. Dear ones, this is half of one entry on November 15th, and we are almost at the end of season three. We began the season arriving at the Shepherd Center, 
So this close of the season feels like the end of a significant chapter, the end of an era. I am so, so blessed to have you along for the journey with me as we move through everything that happened in real time in a community of healing. This podcast story has helped me further my journey of integration, and I hoped it has helped you further yours, or at least provided you with a good real-life story. We'll have one more story episode for you before we end the season next week. Then we'll take a short break between seasons, but still produce some bonus episodes for you of special montages and interviews. Then join us for season four, beginning June 14th. We have some exciting changes underway for season four. We'll expand our format. We will continue to provide all of our Blink of an Eye community with trauma healing learnings as I interview thought leaders, deep thinkers, noted authors, and practitioners of a wide variety of perspectives on trauma healing. And we will alternate and also provide our spinal cord injury community with the Dear Louise series, which we piloted this season. I will be interviewing spinal cord injury heroes about their everyday and their extraordinary lives. And we'll be talking with SCI specialists who bring cutting-edge practical tips and information for SCI caregivers and for those living with spinal cord injury. And for all of our loyal listeners of our centerpiece Blink of an Eye origin story, we will publish the ongoing story on the third Wednesday of each month, including the unedited written bedside family and friends updates Archer blog, braided together with personal journal notes and interview lookbacks years later from those who were behind the scenes. All to further the healing journey of integration, applicable for any life that has changed in the blink of an eye. So we have a lot to look forward to. Join me next week for our finale, Season 3, Episode 28, He's on the Move. If you learned something today or had an experience that moved you or brought you insight, Please share this episode 27, He Will Never Be a Burden, with a friend. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review, a five-star if that's how you feel about Blink of an Eye. Your support allows us to continue sharing this story and producing the trauma healing learnings and spinal cord injury resources. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Begin again. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the blink of an eye story. Tune in next week for the last story episode of Season 3, 
Episode 28, He's On The Move. Thank you for listening. And thank you for telling your friends about Blink of an Eye podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.